Good morning. It's so good to be here with you this morning. Thank you for being here. It's great to see all of our members, and we're very glad to see all of the visitors that we have, and we appreciate your presence so much, and thank you for being here. Let us know if we can ever serve you in any way. We continue in our series and have, I believe, two more weeks after this in this series of looking at different questions uh, that uh, come up in life that Christians ask, and we want to, to take a look at what the Bible says, what God's Word says and uh, about these particular subjects and these questions that we're looking at and to see how we might uh, be uh, uh, more informed in God's Word and understand what His Word says for us and how we can apply that to these various subjects we're looking at. What do you think of when you hear the word politics? Maybe you think of this picture, a swamp. Does that come to mind, maybe? Maybe that's how a lot of us feel about the subject of politics and politicians is a swamp or something pretty similar. You know what the word politics means, don't you? Poly means many, and ticks are blood-sucking creatures, right? So (laughs) that's what the word means. Makes sense, and you get them in swamps. Uh, The word actually means the affairs of the city. The affairs of the cities. That's what it's about, governing the affairs of the cities of of people, the people and groups where they live. And it deals with how people are governed. And so our question is, does God have anything to say about politics? What does he have to say if he has anything to say at all? And so that's what we're going to spend some time looking at this morning in November. We had some, uh, we did some voting earlier this year. We'll do some more later this year. And politics is always a hot topic in our country and around the world. It's always something that people are thinking about and talking about. In Mark chapter 12, there were some people who tried to trap Jesus by asking him a political question. They tried to get him in on politics and to see where they could catch him. As you know, they were always looking to trap him and catch him so that they could find fault, so that they could even find uh, reason to kill him, which they eventually did. So in Mark chapter 12, look at verses 13 through 14, where Mark tells us, and they sent, uh, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by the appearances, but Truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's 
and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. You see, the Pharisees and the Herodians who came to him together to try to trap him, they were enemies. They did not agree on things. They were, they were political and social enemies. And yet they joined forces to try to trap Jesus. They conspired together to trap him in a political trap, which was, it doesn't seem like to us, but was a very dangerous trap they were setting. And of course, Jesus knew what they were up to. And as a teacher of all that is true, as they said, they wanted to know, they wondered, would Jesus pay taxes to Caesar? And so he knew what they were up to. And he makes this statement and he's telling them that money comes from the system that government has set up. That's where these denarius come from and the taxes that you pay from the government, that uh, system that, that they have set up. It's their own system and they require that you pay taxes. Therefore, Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. So to the Pharisees and the Herodians, the idea and the reality of Caesar was just as grand and as mighty as you could imagine. He was the emperor of the great Roman Empire. I mean, he, he, was, he was it. And so Jesus acknowledges that there is a place for politics, that there is a place for government and taxes here when he makes this statement, that it has a task to fulfill and citizens have a responsibility to their government. Jesus acknowledges that. He doesn't refute that or debate that. But in this statement, he says something that would have had to have been shocking, which is why Mark tells us they marveled at what he said. He left them astonished. He left them speechless when he said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God to what, what is God's. Because he's saying that good citizens should follow the laws of the land. Uh, and he's saying you should be good citizens. Followers of Jesus ought to be good citizens and obey the laws of the land. But he also acknowledges that there is another kingdom that we are to obey, that we're to follow. Now, the Pharisees should have understood this, but they, they didn't like they should have. And, and Jesus is communicating about this other kingdom, this kingdom of God that we are also citizens of. And the king of that kingdom was standing right there telling them this, and they didn't see it. The king, that, the, the true king that we ultimately follow, that we follow most of all and, 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 and who is the king of our lives, was standing right there telling them, answering this question, and he was the one they were trying to trap. And, uh, so it can be hard to see any good in government and politics. I understand that. I get that. Oh, it doesn't take long to look around and it doesn't take long in life to realize uh, that there are problems and issues and concerns and disappointments that we have in government. Uh, it can be hard to see the good, even though that's, uh, uh, there is good in it, as we're going to look at. And in fact, it was President Reagan who famously said, government is not the solution to the problem, but government is the problem. And we see that real quickly, don't we? We, we all can attest to that. 
But we do need to remind ourselves that God is the one that instituted government. God set up government. And we've covered this when we went through the book of Romans, but let's highlight some things from uh, Romans chapter 13 here. Look at verse number 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So fundamentally, God has instituted, has created uh, the idea, the concept of government at every level. And we see it at a national level, uh, a state uh, local, and even in our homes, and in every organization, in your job, and in the church, there is some sort of, of government that happens, how we, how we get along, how we govern ourselves, how we manage ourselves. And that's what politics is, is how we go about governing or managing ourselves. That's what that's talking about. So then look at verses 4 through 6. Paul writes, for he is God's servant for your good. He's talking about government, politics. He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who, car who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So again, I know that's, that's, it's hard for us to see that and remember the context Jesus uh, was in when he said that to the, uh, the people trying to trap him. And remember the context that Paul was in when he said that. They were not in, 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 in settings where there was good and wholesome and decent government. There were lots of immoral uh, issues and there was corruption, there were problems, and yet they said these things. So we see these things, three things that I've said here on this slide. God established government. We see that we should be obedient to government and that God, by his design, government is supposed to be a function of God, of God as his servant or minister for our good. That's the way it's supposed to work. And that all sounds fine and good until we look around and realize, well, that ain't how it works very often. We see the corruption and the destruction that government and politics uh, cause all over the world. Now, so that's why this question is important for the Christian to ask. In the midst of that, then, what about politics and should I have anything to do with it or should I be all in and should we try to have a, you know, just this legally Christian nation kind of, you know, thing and where do we fall in this? What should we do? So it's an important question to wonder and certainly one that can't be completely captured in one uh, one time together in one lesson. So there is a God-designed place and purpose for government and for politics. And Christians need to understand that. And that we need we understand that we're supposed to be submissive to the point where government, uh, unless it, to the point where government, uh, you know, has us obey, disobey God, where it will not let us obey God. And now turn to Acts chapter 5, and we'll see an example of that. 
So we're to be submissive up to the point that government wants us to disobey or won't allow us to obey God, our true king. So Acts 5.29 is a good example. Because the high priest had the apostles arrested and thrown in prison because they had been uh, teaching about the kingdom of God, the, the real kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, They've been teaching and preaching about that, and they have been healing people. And uh, the high priest had thrown them in prison. An angel came uh, during the night, broke them out of prison, told them to go stand in the temple courts. Not just, yeah, you know, go lay low or go to the next town. He said, no, you go to the temple courts and you keep teaching about the kingdom of God. You keep telling people about Jesus. And so that's what they did that next morning. And the high priest heard about it. And when he asked them why they were disobeying his orders, they said this, we must obey God rather than men. And right there is the line of our obedience and our submission. When it requires and demands us to disobey God or will not allow us to obey God, we must say like the apostles, the Christians of the New Testament church did, because that's who we claim to be. We must say we must obey God rather than men. So how does this help us? As Christians, when it comes to voting, how does it help us understand politics maybe on a daily uh, basis? And for example, voting, I think that's a very uh, good and common question and one that we need to think about. Well, where what I see in Scripture, where I think Scripture takes us to and, and leaves us with the conclusion is that Christians need to vote when you live in a place and you have the blessing and the opportunity to engage politically. And not everyone around the world has that opportunity. And so it is a blessing. It is a a stewardship, I believe, if you will, that we have uh, that we ought to engage in when, uh, when we have that opportunity, when we have that blessing. So Christians need to support candidates, for example, uh, policies, laws that further the righteousness of God, the morality that is taught in Scripture. Because we have an opportunity to promote good in our communities and in our, our state, our country. And the United States has uh, influence all around the world. And so the more that we can influence good in any way, the better that is all around the world. And so we have to take advantage of opportunities like that. And so when we think, where does the Christian, should the Christian land on politics and voting? Well, we should use, make the most of every opportunity that we have to further the righteousness of God, to further morality, to further good things, and to restrain evil things, shouldn't we? That's what we should be about in our own lives and when we have a chance to cast a ballot or whatever that might be. So, and there's, of course, different ways to engage politically. Now, what about if none of the candidates are any good? And unfortunately, it seems like that happens quite often where we're like, are you serious? You know, I remember learning the phrase, hold your nose and vote. You've heard that phrase, hold your nose and vote. In other words, they all stink. Who am I supposed to vote for if I just hold my nose and maybe vote for the lesser of two evils? Okay, so 
There's a lot of room for you've got to make your own decision, your own decision with your conscience between you and God on that. So, So as a Christian, what I do is is I want to do my very best to understand who the candidates are, what, are what, what do they vote for, what do they stand for, what are their platforms that they uh, are a part of, and, and what is it they're wanting to do, and be as informed as, as I can. I personally believe that a lot of voters are not very educated and informed about the people they're voting for. And maybe they are, but that's just my, my sense on things. And I think if I'm going to vote or if I'm going to support something, I don't don't know about it. And and so that's, I think, a responsibility that the Christian has because we want to promote biblical principles and morals. So it's an opportunity to promote, to protect, and to preserve godly government. Why? Because we understand God's purpose of government. That's why we can land on the point of, the conclusion of, voting and being engaged to some level politically. Now, is it a sin not to vote? We cannot say that it is because not everyone around the world has the opportunity to vote. So some people, some people want to take it to that conclusion. Well, if you don't, and if you don't support this candidate and this party and, 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 and whatever this, you know, down the line, then you're in sin. But if their conscience would be violated because of that vote, then they shouldn't vote. And so that's a personal decision that people have to make. And we need to let people make that personal decision. We need to think about that when it comes to who we support online and what we put online in social media and what we talk about with people because of the complications. Because we have to understand that no candidate and no, no party is perfect, are they? All of them have flaws and all of them fall short. And so we have to be conscious of that. Although we may be active politically and vote or whatever that might be, we need to understand that every every one of these folks that is running for office or or whatever has some dirt and has some problems most likely. Most of them do. And so what are we putting out there on social media and what are we talking about? Look at Jeremiah chapter 29. We read about the prophet Jeremiah. He's sending a letter from Jerusalem to the Israelites. These Israelites were still in captivity in Babylon. God had sent them in captivity because of their disobedience to him. Look at verse num- verses 4 through 7 in Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. So while they were exiles living in captivity in evil, unrighteous Babylon, God through Jeremiah tells them to increase, to to make that your home for the time being while I have you there uh, because you're 
in exile because of your disobedience and rebellion. Make this your home and flourish there and do good in your communities. Do good and seek the welfare of this place, this evil place, Babylon. And because when you seek its welfare, that will come back on you. And the more good people, God's people, Jeremiah is telling them, flourish, then, and the more you seek the welfare of the city, and the more you pray, then do you see the effect that that can have. And that's what God told them to do. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. So Christians are to make the places that they live better because we're seeking the welfare of the city, the welfare of the people. We're out for the good of others. We seek good for our communities. And, and, and so when we have the opportunity to vote, now I'm not saying it's sin or not sin, but then that's, that's an opportunity we have, a stewardship we have to help further the righteousness of God, to seek the welfare of our communities and our state and our nation. So what does this have to do with politics? The thing with politics, though, as we looked at the definition, it has to do with every area of our lives, all the way down to uh, the school board level, city council, and the way that we interact with one another. Now, not everything that happens in politics is a religious issue, uh, but a lot of what happens in politics is a religious or moral issue. So when we engage politically, when we talk to uh, elected officials, when people work in off, work, are employed in government, those are opportunities to further God's purpose for government, which is to do good and uphold righteousness. Now, we do this by remembering that Peter told us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are foreigners and strangers in this world. So while we're here, similar to like how the Israelites were in Babylon, for a time being they were there. Now they were there for their disobedience and their rebellion against God, but they were there for a time being. They were foreigners and aliens and strangers in that land. They didn't belong there, but God said, you do good and you pray for them and you seek the welfare of that city and you flourish and while we're here on this earth in this short period of time where Peter said, your life is but a vapor, it's a mist, it's gone in a moment, then we should seek the welfare of the places that we live. But we also need to remember that you're aliens and strangers. You don't belong here. You're, you're king. That's what Jesus was saying, that, yeah, there's some, there's some earthly physical obligations here to your taxes and obey the law and all that just because you're a Christian and you're going to do what's right. But your king is Jesus and your God is God. And so no matter who is in the White House, Jesus is our Lord. And his kingdom isn't at six. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. It's in heaven. So no matter who is governor, Jesus is our Lord. And no politician or government has ever stopped God's work, God's purposes. None of them can. No matter how powerful they are, none of them can stop God's purposes. His purpose to of salvation, of saving people, turning hearts to him. And the hope of the people of God is never in a political party or a candidate. It is always in the power of the almighty God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not from this world in John 18, 36. So our king is not of this world, and therefore our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship, we know, is in heaven. 
But the things of this world, and, and there's many, many important good things of this world, often easily consume us. They consume our time and our attention and our loyalty and our, our, our money and, and all of our lives. And we neglect the eternal things that actually matter, that truly matter at an eternal level. So think about how quick are you to talk about politics and the latest news and the latest fake news and the latest scandal and the latest whatever. How quick are you to talk about that with your, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends and family? And, and, and more so than talking about Jesus and inviting people to church and, and, and telling them about what God has done in your life and encouraging them with a scripture or, or praying for them. So which one do we do more of? Which one is easier for us to do? Which one do we share more of social, on social media? Oh, we're quick to do the memes and the, you know, the things like that, that that put down this party or negative about this candidate, whatever it is. But, but when's the last time we're putting good stuff out there and inviting people to church and, and, and positive things and scripture and prayer? And I don't know that any of that matters except to stir up uh, problems, but I think that it does. Positive is better than negative for sure. Good is better than bad. But we can't let politics consume us to the point that it pushes God out of first place in our life because, because Jesus is supposed to be our king. And people aren't changed by laws. Now, laws may regulate our behavior. They may restrain behavior. And, and there's a place for that, as we said. There's a God-ordained place for laws. But they don't change our hearts. Only the gospel message of Jesus Christ changes hearts and lives and turns us to the eternal and true king. Laws that we pass in this land won't do that. Candidates we vote for won't do that. None of them are saving any souls. Only the gospel of, the G of Jesus our Lord. Football season is here, isn't it? We're all excited about Bullard Panther football or your college team or your NFL team or uh, whatever it might be, your old high school team. But did you know that at every football game, there are actually three teams on the field? Did you know that? There's three teams on the You can ask Coach Callaway after, after church. He'll tell you there's three teams on the field. Now, two teams... Their job is to go at it, right? Their job is to battle. That's by design. That's the, that's the way the game works, is to battle one another. And nothing you do is going to change the design and function of the, the game and the way those teams work. They will battle one another, and one will be victorious at the end of every single game. That's just the way that it works. But there's another team on the field. And they are called the team of officials. Is that right, Scott? The team of officials. They are on the field, but they are not of the field. Do you see that? They belong to a different team. If you will, they belong to another kingdom. 
See, they're not bound by the coach of each of those teams and the plays that they play. Their job is not to listen to the roar of the crowd, whether it be boos or cheers or the teams battling one another and running into each other and smashing and yelling and all of the trash talking. They they don't listen to any of that because they have been handed a book to go by. They've been handed a book to follow, and that's what they go by to to do the job that they are supposed to do. And as Christians, we have been given a book that we're supposed to go by, that every play in our life is to follow that book. And those officials on that football field are supposed to follow that book. Every decision they make on that field is to be representative of the book they've been given to follow and the kingdom that they belong to. And Christians, we belong to another kingdom. We don't belong to the kingdoms of this world and the governments of this world. In an earthly sense, there's some obligations, and in a sense, we do. And I'm proud of our country, and I love our country here, and I thank God to be in this country, and I'm thankful for those who fought and served this country, always, absolutely. But this world is not our home. And so everything we do is to be about this book and the message in this book. And that is the eternal saving message of Jesus Christ. And everything I can do, whether it's a vote, and I know we wonder, does it matter? I know everything I can do that helps further goodness and righteousness of God, then I ought to do that because it's an opportunity to do good and uphold his righteousness. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, then then you're not yet in that kingdom. You're not on that team yet. So I'm going to ask you, which team are you on? Are you on these earthly teams that are just going to constantly battle one another? Or are you on that other team that's following that other book that belongs to that other kingdom? If you are a Christian and you hadn't been living right, you've been been caught up in the game on the field instead of living by the book and proclaiming the message of your king. And you you need prayers and you want to ask for prayers, we're here for you. Whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.